Ladies and gentlemen, before we begin the show today, I feel I really should apologize for some of the things I said on yesterday's show. Uh, in a careless moment, for instance, I, I may have said that women are different than men and have different desires, outlooks, weaknesses, and capabilities. And of course, that's all true, but I want to apologize for saying it because it's the kind of thing that makes women hysterical. They, they get completely irrational and you know, they start going at you with those high, screechy voices so that it gets really hard to concentrate on the TV. And I like to watch TV, so I'm sorry I said that. I also said that there are dysfunctions in the poor black community that have nothing to do with how blacks are treated by whites and everything to do with how blacks behave themselves. And I'm sorry I said that, because if blacks were to stop blaming white people for their troubles and start taking responsibility for themselves, they would undoubtedly rise in society and achieve more and get better jobs, making it harder for us white people to get those jobs. And we wouldn't want that. So I apologize if I gave black people any ideas. And I also said that there may be certain tenets of Islam that inherently lead to violence. And I'm very sorry I said that because those Muslims will kill you in a heartbeat over that kind of thing. And finally, in segueing from a discussion about Donald Trump directly to a discussion about Satan, I, I may have given some of you the impression that I was actually comparing the Donald to the Prince of Darkness. I want to apologize to the Prince of Darkness. He may be the father of all evil, but he certainly didn't deserve that. To make amends to all those I might have offended, I will now proceed to look very serious for a few seconds and speak in a quiet, sincere-sounding voice and then fire someone who's not myself. Then on with the show. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Ah, well, as far, as far as I'm concerned, the big news from yesterday, the big news that I heard, was that two historians have now determined that Hitler, Adolf Hitler, had very, very small, deformed genitalia. Okay, this is a true story. Two historians have now decided he had some condition that gave him very small, deformed genitalia. And I read that and I thought, well, that doesn't make him a bad person. <laughs> I mean, they're always coming, coming up with this stuff about Hitler. A couple of years ago, they, a guy actually wrote a book, an entire book, I think, saying that Hitler was gay, you know. And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, I knew there was something I didn't like about that guy. <laughs> it's, one thing, it's one thing to, to destroy Western civilization and murder 60 million people, but if you're going to start wearing those skinny jeans and velour, velour shirts, I have had it. I've had it. I mean, they had another one that he and Ava Braun, his mistress, I won't go into too much detail, but he, that they did some disgusting sexual things. And I thought, you know... <laughs> Behind closed doors in your bedroom, do whatever you want. Just stop killing people. <laughs> so I don't know. People, people just seem to concentrate on the wrong things all the time. In keeping with that theme of <laughs> concentrating on the wrong things, we're going to have a pop quiz today. Today is the Nevada caucuses, obviously. And uh, I don't think they have polls in Nevada. They just give odds, you know. <laughs> it's like two, two to one on Trump, seven to five on Rubio. You know, Cruz, a hard eight. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm fading a hard eight on the big table. Uh I'm going to just tell you the news, as I saw it, the political news. And the pop quiz is going to be, what's the big question that links all these stories together, okay? I don't get to watch a lot of TV news, actually. I work a really long day, and by the time it's over, I just want to watch something on TV or, you know, have a couple of drinks and watch former actresses and Ted Cruz commercials on Cinemax or whatever. But, but last night, I actually watched the news. So I'm going to just give you the big, the lead political stories. I'm going to report to you the lead political stories, and then we'll have a pop quiz. What, what central question links these stories together? 
So the first one, of course, is Ted Cruz fired his communications director, Rick Tyler, Rick Tyler. And the thing that happened is Marco Rubio is walking through a hotel lobby and he sees Ted Cruz's dad, Rafael, who is a preacher and another Ted Cruz aide. And the aide is reading the Bible. And this is caught, like as everything is nowadays, it's caught on video. And Rubio says to the guy reading the Bible, he says, good book you have there. All the answers are in that book, especially the one you're reading now, because the guy was reading Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, all this wisdom. So, so Rubio says, you know, good book. So the sound, you know, all the answers are in there, especially that one. So the sound was a little muffled, and somebody who didn't like Rubio posts it online with captions that <clears throat> misquote what he said. And he's supposed to now have said in these captions, and by the way, it's posted online like that immigration whore Rubio, you know, so like absolute vitriol pouring out. And the, and the Cruz campaign didn't do this. The Cruz campaign didn't do this. But the Rubio, somebody posts the Rubio thing online and it says, good book you're reading there. Not many answers in there. Not many answers in there, right? And like he's making fun of him for reading, reading the Bible. So apparently Rick Tyler, Cruz's communication director, tweeted this and put it on Facebook before, surprise, surprise, it turns out not to be real. I mean, it's like, you know, it's not only, not only, it's a very minor dirty trick, but it's such a stupid one because who's going to believe that Marco Rubio, you know, yeah, and after that he, you know, sacri- did a human sacrifice and, and raised a demon, you know, like, I mean, that guy is a Bible-believing Christian. He's not going to walk through this hotel with a million cameras on him and insult the Bible. He obviously, I mean, any Anybody would have said, but Tyler posted this online, you know, the Rubio com- campaign uh, complained and Tyler was fired so fast and on s- such a spur of the moment that t- Tyler was actually waiting in a green room to go on TV to speak as a spokesman for Ted Cruz when suddenly he found out, guess what? You're not a spokesman for Ted Cruz anymore. You're actually unemployed and looking for work. All right. So here is Ted Cruz coming out and making the announcement that he has fired this guy. I asked for Rick Tyler's resignation. I had made clear in this campaign that we will conduct this campaign with the very highest standards of integrity. That has been how we've conducted it from day one. It is why when other campaigns attack us personally, impugn my integrity or my character, I don't respond in kind. None of you have heard me throw the kind of insults at Marco Rubio that he throws at me every single day. If other candidates choose to go into the gutter, we will not do the same. Rick Tyler's a good man. This was a a grave error of judgment. It turned out the news story he sent around was false, but I'll tell you, even if it was true, we are not a campaign that is going to question the faith of another candidate. Even if it was true, our campaign should not have sent it. That's why I've asked for Rick Tyler's resignation, because the standards of conduct in this campaign have been made absolutely clear for every member of the campaign. So this is the problem that Cruz has is he's being hammered hilariously by Donald Trump, liar, 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 and by Marco Rubio, dirty tricks, dirty tricks, dirty tricks. And they are selling this narrative. You know, it's it's the big lie. You know, you hammer this stuff enough and, and somebody's going to believe it. And so he has to he feels he has to make this move to now we've, we're cleaning up the campaign. He's going into a caucus. So it makes the campaign look a little bit like it's uh, in disarray. But. He's going to sell this idea that, no, 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 we're cleaning up. It's all the fault of this guy, and we're going to sacrifice him and throwing him overboard. Of course, this gets you nothing because the the narrative is what's important to the other candidates. The narrative that he's a liar, that he's not to be trusted. His, his logo is Trust Ted, right? Cruz's logo is Trust Ted. And so they want to make sure that that doesn't 
stick. You know, they want to make sure that this narrative, the liar, liar thing, and it also plays into the, just the way Cruz looks. I mean, Cruz just looks like, you know, a backwoods preacher. It's just, it just, you know, as I say, he's facially challenged. It's just, so it, Rubio gives him nothing for this. He doesn't get, here's Rubio, you know, just, he's still going to hammer this narrative. Well, who's going to be fired when Ted Cruz is president? Because this campaign now has repeatedly done things that they have to apologize for, and no one's ever held accountable. Who's going to be held accountable for making up this video? Who was held accountable for lying about Ben Carson? Who was held accountable for the robocalls? And who was held accountable for the uh, commercials on television that they had to pull down? So, again, I think it's a very disturbing pattern of, of, of deceptive campaigns and, and flat out just lying. See, the thing about it is now the the Carson, this all caught fire. This narrative started to get have legs after Iowa when Ben Carson complained that Cruz had put out this story that Carson had suspended his campaign. And Cruz came out and said, no, CNN ran a story strongly suggesting that Carson had suspended his campaign. And we brooded that about because we thought that was important in the heat of battle. But we were wrong and the report was wrong and we apologize. Again, got him nothing. Every word that Cruz said was true. We play this on the air, on the show. We showed you the CNN report. CNN was saying, no, 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 we never did that. They did. CNN was not quite lying. They were dissembling. Their report strongly suggested that Carson was about to announce the suspension of campaign. And the fact that he was going home in the middle of the Iowa caucuses was suggestive. And so I felt Cruz was pretty much 100% innocent there. Tough, tough, hardball politics, but not dishonest. In this... You know, this is a dumb move because, like I said, it's not only a, a tiny little dirty trick, but it is a stupid dirty trick because just nobody is going to believe that Marco Rubio is making fun of the Bible. You know, it's like Marco Rubio. You know, here's a video of Marco Rubio with his head spinning around 360 degrees. I'm sorry, say you love Satan. You know, it's like, whoa, he didn't really say that. You know, it's like, you know, nobody's going to believe this. All right. So even the Washington Post, right, a, an absolute beacon of left-wing bias. They have a, a political blog called The Fix, and a guy named Philip Bump writes on the political blog, Ted Cruz is not running a dirty campaign, despite what Donald Trump and Marco Rubio would argue. But that idea just caused Cruz's, cost Cruz's spokesman, Rick Tyler, his job. Cruz's campaign's clumsy effort to translate Ben Carson's post-Iowa travel into a Carson concession was unfair, but it likely didn't make much difference and can probably be chalked up to zealousness as much as anything. That you-haven't-voted flyer in Iowa was poorly received. That was a flyer that the Cruz campaign sent around that people have been complaining about, but it was based in sound political research and was only sent to a few thousand people who probably wouldn't have voted anyway. Cruz's ads against Trump Quoting Trump's past positions, as stated by Trump himself, are fair game despite Trump's threats to sue. There were late robocalls in South Carolina hammering Donald Trump for being liberal, but those were from a PAC, not the campaign itself. Reports of push polls and other gauzy nonsense appear to be unfounded. But that we have to list all of these things proves the point. Cruz has a perception problem for two reasons. First, his opponents are more than willing to make a big deal out of these not very big issues because it serves their own political goals to do so. Trump plays them up because he wants people to think that maybe he won Iowa, which he didn't. Carson plays them up because he wants people to think that he's actually a good candidate, which he isn't. It is, in my estimation, as dirty to berate Cruz for playing dirty as was anything that Cruz actually did, which brings us to the second point, the repetition of the accusation that he's playing dirty by his opponents and their supporters and some in the media 
puts his campaign under much greater scrutiny than his opponents. And that is for sure, because Trump lies and lies and lies. He lies about how rich he is. He lies about whether he supported the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, about his Planned Parenthood support and his stances keep changing and about what he'll do about health care. And he doesn't say any of his policies. He never tells his policies. He's not going to release his tax forms. He keeps saying when the moment is appropriate, whatever that means. You know, not, no words come out of Trump's mouth that are connected by any even a string to actual events or reality or his own opinions. So him attacking Cruz is a laugh. Part of this, too, by the way, is the reaction to the fact that Cruz is running the smartest campaign. He's running a very smart campaign. I, I think he's not doing that well. I mean, I think the fact that he got hammered as he did by evangelicals in South Carolina is a very bad sign. But my former friends at Madison McCain are doing a great, at Madison uh, McQueen, sorry, Madison McQueen are doing a great job with their commercials. They're all, they're angry at me because I keep mentioning this girl. <laughs> In one, the ads, I wrote the ads and they got canceled because this girl had done some softcore porn work and they keep, I told them I'm going to mention her every time. Oh, I'm going to mention her every time they tell me not to mention her. So this is that time they told me. And so you guys can be, you who are listening can be assured that every time somebody tells me not to mention something, you will hear about it. But they got a great write-up, write up, by the way. I was very proud of them. Because these guys, you know, you have to remember, these guys started, you know, talk about softcore porn. These guys started out, Madison McQueen started out doing the Clavin on the Culture video. So they have dragged themselves up from un completely, uh, you know, a dirty, horrifying past into this very respectable organization that is now working for Ted Cruz. And NRO today wrote this absolute rave. It says, uh, Ted Cruz styles himself as the presidential candidate for America's heartland. But when it comes to his campaign ads, the Texas senator draws heavily on Hollywood values. Hollywood production values, says Owen Brennan, an executive at L.A.-based ad firm Madison McQueen, not Hollywood values. Madison McQueen has helped Cruz craft Cruz's cutting-edge media campaign. Of all the presidential candidates this cycle, none have released ads inspiring more praise and more pearl-clutching than Ted Cruz. From the SNL-spired Cruz Christmas classics to the silver-screen melodrama of Invasion, to the office space parody, it feels good to be a Clinton. Many of the Cruz campaign's TV spots bring a measure of creativity rarely seen in presidential politics, especially on the Republican side. So this just goes to show you, no matter how low you start in life, no matter how low you sink, even if you're doing Clavin on the Culture video, you can one day lift up and become a respectable, almost respectable member of society. So I'm proud of them, and I don't care whether they, they're angry at me. <laughs> but I do, I do love them, and they're doing a great, great job. All right, so that's one story. That's one story that we had. Remember, there's a pop quiz at the end of this. You have to figure out what big question links these two stories. The next one is John Kasich. And he's, because of the Nevada caucuses today, he's campaigning in Virginia. <laughs> he's campaigning in Virginia because he knows he's not going to get any votes till Ohio. So he's in Virginia, you know, because he, he needed someplace to go. They're probably easier to get a hotel room. And he's campaigning in Virginia. And he makes this speech about how his campaign started in, back in 1978. Okay, so here's the speech he made and the reaction he gets from the crowd. How did I get elected? Nobody was, I didn't have anybody for me. We just got an army of people who, um, and, and many women who left their kitchens to go out and go door to door and to put, put yard signs up for me all the way back when, you know, things were different. Now you call homes and everybody's out working, but at that time, early days, it was an army of the, of the women that really helped me to get elected to the state senate, and I went into that job, and I didn't take any orders from anybody there. In fact, Republicans tried to raise taxes, and I wrote my first budget, and that was very interesting. All right, I'm going right there. Yes, young lady. 
Do you go to school here? Yes, sir. I'm a nursing student here. Better yet, huh? First off, I want to say your comment earlier about the women came out of the kitchen to support you. I'll come to support you, but I won't be coming out of the kitchen. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Okay. So now, so now Kasich, he's talking about 1978, I think, is when it, this began, when 70% of women worked in the home. 70% of women were at-home moms. and he's, he's, I, He couldn't have been any more clear in what he was talking about. But... Now he has to go on TV and and apologize for this. And he was on Megyn Kelly, and I was embarrassed for the guy. He's making, you know, he's making, he, you know, excuses. I have a, a, a lieutenant governor who's a woman. I appointed a woman to the court, and I did this, and I did that. And Megyn Kelly, even more frustrating, even more frustrating to me as a viewer, Megyn Kelly is being beneficent. She's being benevolent. She's letting him off the hook. It's okay. Back in those days, it was this, you know, he was te- just telling the truth. He couldn't have been any clearer what he was saying. And by the way, that nursing student might want to learn how to behave in a kitchen. It wouldn't kill her. <laughs> you know, I'm, sure, I'm sure her boyfriend or husband would really appreciate if he could get a good meal every now and again. So anyway, Kasich has to go on and apologize. Just like, you know, uh, Cruz is apologizing for what he did. The question to me that links these two stories is so bloody what? Why is has this become what a campaign? Do you understand now why Donald Trump is winning? Do you understand why? Listen, listen to Donald Trump's victory speech. Just play Trump's victory speech after uh, South Carolina. We won with everything. We won with women. I love the women. We won with highly educated, pretty well educated, and poorly educated. But we won with everything. Tall people, short people, fat people, skinny people. Just one. The only category I do badly in is my personality. And that's okay. Who cares? And you know what? You want to know something? I'm a better person than the people I'm running against. I see it. Trump's not apologizing for anything. Trump says anything he wants. You know, he says, oh, you know, Megyn Kelly, she's bleeding from wherever. He just says anything he wants. He never apologizes. For the rest of the guys, it's apologies, apologies, apologies. Who cares? When did this become what a campaign was about? People are hurting in this country, you know? I mean, people can't get jobs. The jobs they can get don't pay what they used to pay. The, you know, industry has left the country. Islam is blowing up the Middle East. You know, there's, there's, the borders are open. People are coming across the border. And these guys are like, oh, I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry. But it's every day. It's everything they say. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I would like to make the argument that this is why we never should have given women the right to vote. You know, there are a lot, <laughs> there are a lot of guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, and I'll probably be on Megan Kelly. I'm sorry, Megan. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of guys who say women should, have, should never have been given the right to vote because it increases the welfare state, because women want um, someone to, be, to take care of them, and if it's not going to be a man, it's going to be the man, okay? And women are always saying, you know, give, a, give us more of this and take care of us this, and, and if it, a man does it, you kind of owe him something. You ought to get into the kitchen and maybe make him a dinner from now, time to time. But if the man does it, it's an entitlement. Okay, that's not my argument. My argument is this. Apologies, apologies are a female fantasy that is akin to male sexual fantasy, I swear, I swear. There's a movie called Don John, okay? A movie that nobody saw but me, but it really, it was kind of an interesting movie. It was jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt, the guy from Inception. Everybody kind of knows him. It was in one of the Batman films, too, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. And uh, 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and he plays a guy who's addicted to porn. It's a very brave film in a lot of ways. It's about a guy who, who has a porn addiction, and it's not that he can't get women. He's, you know, he's this good-looking movie star. He can get women. He has women, but he likes porn better. And even after he's with a woman, he'll get up in the middle of the night, and he'll go to his computer and look at porn. He falls for Scarlett Johansson, who's a very manipulative, kind of social-climbing individual, and he's trying to impress her. And she loves rom-coms, romantic comedies. And so there's this scene that he narrates where he goes, takes her to a rom-com. And here's the scene. Watch carefully. I don't watch too many movies. I used to watch them a lot when I was a little kid before I could get my hands on any porn. Because back then, if I wanted to see a really hot girl, my best bet was to watch a movie. So what do you like? Oh, it's so great. I love these two, huh? Yeah, they're great. But now, I don't really see the point. I don't know, I guess I'm missing something. Because most people eat that up. The pretty woman, the pretty man, love at first sight, the first kiss, the breakup, the makeup, the expensive wedding, I mean, they drive off into the sunset. Everyone knows it's fake, but they watch it like it's real life. Okay, so if you couldn't see that, in the rom-com, Anne Hathaway and Channing Tatum play the couple, right? And when he gets to the makeup, Tatum is on his knees weeping and apologizing to Anne Hathaway. And that is part of the rom-com scenario, is part of every single rom-com. I, I wrote a, a novel called Identity Man in which a guy gets locked in a room and he has to watch all these movies. And when he gets to these rom-coms, he calls them apology films because they're all the, the climax is always a guy apologizing. And the point of this film, the point of th that this scene, is that romantic comedies are, to Scarlett Johansson, what porn is to this guy a fantasy that doesn't involve him in real life. It separates him from real life, and it's degrading. I mean, it shows you, <clears throat> pardon me, it shows you in the film that watching porn is degrading and watching these rom-coms, getting addicted to these rom-coms is degrading. And just like fantasy, just like sexual fantasies, uh, you know, we have, fantasies are weird. I mean, this is something I know about just from being a novelist, because a novelist uses fantasies and kind of plays off his audience's fantasies. Fantasies are weird because we have a lot of fantasies that are t that at times drive us. We want these things so bad we think we will die if we don't get these. <clears throat> but if you ever got them, if you ever actually did them, it would ruin your life. It would ruin your life. I mean, you take I mean, a perfect example is that uh, novel and film uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, this is obviously a strong female fantasy. But if you ever were in that relationship, I don't think so. I don't think that would be really good. And there, guys, I can tell you, just every guy walking the planet, every guy walking the planet has things flashing through his head that if he did them, if he went out and did them, he would spend the rest of his life sobbing in a corner, going, "Why did I ever do that? Why did? I, what was I thinking? Why did I?" Do? Apologies are the same way. Women have this fantasy. It's, it's there in these romantic comedies played out for men to apologize. They, it's, like, it's like catnip. They want men to apologize. But what happens if the guy actually spends his time apologizing? If guys, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They dump him. Who wants a guy like that? Nobody really wants a guy like that. They dump him. And who do they run off with? 
Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, they run off with the guy, the bad guy who doesn't apologize to anybody, who is abusive, who walks through walls. That's the guy they want. And that narrative has taken over. And I'm, you know, obviously partially joking about partially joking about the idea of women having the right to vote. It's not really women. It's yin. It's this feminine uh, power, this anima, this feminine spirit in human affairs that wants men to constantly be begging people's pardons for what they say. John Casey has nothing to apologize. And what he should have said, as they say, what he should have said is, I'm not apologizing. I said the simple truth. If you can't take the simple truth, buzz off. Don't vote for me. He, he kills you. Don't vote for me. What what Cruz should obviously have said <clears throat> is stop complaining, you whining guys. Martin, I got to take a drink here. <clears throat> he should have said stop complaining. Rubio, Trump, what are you, whiny little kids? This is a political campaign. We're fighting for the highest office in the land. You can't take a little flack. You can't take a small trick too bad. He doesn't have to be rude. He doesn't have to be Donald Trump. He doesn't have to use four-letter words or threaten people as Trump does. He doesn't have to say, you know, uh, grotesque, horrible things. He just has to say, stuff it. Stuff it. I'm not apologizing. I'm not firing anybody. I mean, if you do something really wrong, if you're caught, you know, with a couple of chorus girls and you're selling yourself as a family man, yeah, of course. Do they still have chorus girls? I don't know. Whatever they, whatever they have now. You know, you say, you know, of course, then then you're in trouble. But for just saying stuff, for playing hardball politics, stop apologizing because it gives Trump a clear feel to the nomination. And that is what is driving me crazy every single day, every single day for Kasich to sit with Megyn Kelly and Megyn Kelly to essentially forgive him. Oh, that's OK, John. That's OK. That just belittles him. That just makes him smaller, even smaller than he already is, which in this race is pretty small. And Cruz, it's just a tactical error. It is just a tactical error. I know he thinks, he thinks he's going to get rid of that narrative, but what he should have said was like, stop, stop. My campaign is being run with the highest of ethics. We make mistakes. Sometimes we play a little gag on you guys. Too bad. This is tough, tough guy, hardball politics. Get in line and stop whining. And the minute somebody says to Trump, stop whining, it'll be clear that that's what Trump does. It's all he does. It's all whining. It's all, you didn't treat me fairly. I'm going to run third party because you didn't treat me fairly. He's a whiny little rich boy bully. And they let him, you know, they let him stomp around like he's the man because of this culture of political correctness that has grown up in, in order to make this constant drumbeat of apology. Let me just show you what real lying is, okay? Just for one minute, let's take a look at real lying. You know, the Democrats have been selling this thing, this uh, idea that it's just terrible that the Republicans are standing up to Obama and not willing to appoint a Supreme Court justice. They're not going to hold hearings. And so far, the Republicans are holding the line because if they give this up, if they give the Supreme Court up, if they even listen to people telling them that they should hold hearings, they're done. That's the end of the party. It's the end of everything. I won't vote for them. I'll stop voting for the Republican Party if they let this happen. Okay? But the Democrats keep saying, this is terrible. This is terrible. Here's Joe Biden, who you may remember from our last meeting was his vice president. During the, during the first Bush administration, H.W. Bush, as Bush is running for re-election, I believe, this is Joe Biden talking about Supreme Court appointees. It is my view that if a Supreme Court justice resigns tomorrow or within the next several weeks, or resigns at the end of the summer, President Bush should consider 
following the practice of a majority of his predecessors and not, and not name a nominee until after the November election is completed. The Senate, too, Mr. President, must consider how it re would respond to a Supreme Court vacancy that would occur in the full throes of an election year. It is my view that if the President goes the way of Presidents Fillmore and Johnson and presses an election year nomination, the Senate Judiciary Committee should seriously consider not scheduling confirmation hearings on the nomination until ever, until after the political campaign season is over. Ruh -roh. There we go. There they go again. That's so that's three, right? That's Chuck Schumer, Harry Reid, and now Biden. They've all come on, they all were doing this stuff. That's what dishonesty looks like. It doesn't look like the guy retweeting the stupid video of Marco Rubio. Got to stop apologizing. Got to stop apologizing. It is handing the election to Trump. It is why Trump is winning this PC culture of apology that comes right out of these rom-coms, you know, that when you may want think you want it, but once they get it, it doesn't get you a damn thing, but disrespected. Okay, stuff I like. <clears throat> this week I've been trying to do really lost classics, and I was thinking, that, you know, there are a lot of books that have gone out of print that are really, really good. Yesterday I recommended this uh, book, The Rose of Tibet, and somebody who listened to the podcast said he got the last copy uh, from Amazon, but you can still get it on Kindle, I think. But it's a lot harder to find lost classics of movies because almost all movies are still available and are on TCM. They're on Turner Classic Movies. But here's a movie, if you are a Western fan, if you ask someone to list the great Westerns, I, you know, I don't know, uh, she wore a yellow ribbon. No, not she wore a yellow ribbon. Uh, uh, Stagecoach would be one. Uh, maybe Shane. Uh, Shane has really dated it. I've seen it recently. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid, but it doesn't really hold up. Uh, Darling Clementine would be another. Uh, you know, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. A lot of things. But but one film just never gets mentioned, and I think it is as good as the best Westerns. It's a 1950 film called The Gunfighter with Gregory Peck. So here's a scene. It, what, what it does is it takes all the classic cliches of the Western movie and plays them as if they're really happening, and it gives it this kind of dark, brooding, unhappy, lonely feeling of what it's like. Gregory Peck plays a gunfighter named, I think his name is Johnny Ringo or something like this, and he's at the bar, and everywhere he goes, some young punk wants to prove that he's faster. And in this one, Richard Jekyll gets up and starts taunting him, buys him a drink, and then starts taunting him, trying to get him to draw. And all through the scene, if you can't see it, Peck has his, a drink in his right hand, and his gun is on his right hip, so you know he can't draw. So here's the scene. Mr. Ringo! Chuck figures you got a little extra consideration coming to you around here. Is that right? No. How's that, Mr. Ringo? You'll have to speak up if you want me to hear you. Why don't you button up your britches and go home? How'd you like to try to make me, Mr. Ringo? Now, listen, partner. I come in here minding my own business. Now, how about letting me go out the same way? I want to know first what you meant by that remark you just passed. Tell you what, you just bought me a drink. Now I'll buy you one and then we'll drop it. What do you say? Give him a drink for me. Never mind the drink. I want to know what he meant by the remark you passed. Listen, Eddie. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to Mr. Ringo. I want to know what he meant by that remark he passed. How come I got to run into a squirt like you nearly every place I go these days? What are you trying to do, show off in front of your friends? 
Are you ready to back up that remark or not? What about this? Ain't some of you fellas in charge of this donkey? I'm telling you, Mr. Ringo. Eddie don't mean no real harm, Mr. Ringo. Then let Eddie keep his big, ugly nose out of my business if he don't want to get it slapped. Did you see that? Yes, sir. He drew first. So, of course, they don't even show Gregory Peck pulling his gun. They just cut back to him, and he's got it in his left hand, and he's cross-drawn. He's that fast, you know? And it's just an incredible story of a guy kind of who's come to the end of his rope. He cannot stand the fact that wherever he goes, death is haunting him in the person of some little punk who just has to prove himself off his gun. It's a really, really good Western. I would class it any top list of westerns i think it deserves to be there the gunfighter 1950 with gregory peck all right that's it if i leave you with nothing else today never apologize <laughs> never, never say you're sorry for anything and one day you too can be donald trump i'm andrew clavin this is the andrew clavin show we'll be back tomorrow after the nevada caucuses i hope you'll be here thanks